Hello, and welcome to the HR Means Business podcast, which is part of the HR Happy Hour Network. I'm your host, Mervyn Dinan, and today I'm going to be talking to somebody about a topic that I think is hugely important. Certainly one of the, the biggest topics, I think, on the HR agenda in recent years has been diversity, <coughs> equity and inclusion. Uh, and I'm delighted today to be able to welcome to HR Means Business, Paul Modley who's the Managing Director for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion for AMS. Uh, Paul, welcome to the show. And would you like to introduce yourself and tell listeners a little bit about your role? Thank you, Mervyn, and delighted to be with you today. So, yes, thank you for the intro. Um, yeah, you kind of exp- uh, kind of introduced me there. I'm responsible for diversity, equity and inclusion uh, across the AMS business. I sit within our innovation function um, and I wear two hats. I'm uh, responsible for what we are doing internally as a business uh, across our 10,000 workforce, uh, making sure that we continue to uh, deliver an inclusive culture and a sense of belonging for our colleagues. I also have an external hat as well in terms of making sure that when we are working with our outsourcing clients, that we are amplifying diversity, equity and inclusion when we support those clients. Um, and I've been doing this specific role for about three years now, my background is predominantly in TA. I've worked um, in-house for organisations like Barclays, EY. Uh, latterly, I worked on the London 2012 Olympics and Paralympics when it was obviously in London uh, in 2012. Uh, and I got involved in that right at the beginning. And that's really where my interest in diversity, equity and inclusion developed um, to the point now where uh, I'm obviously driving that for, uh, for AMS's business. And, and tell listeners a little bit about AMS, who they are and what it is they do. So we are a global um, talent acquisition, outsourcing and advisory business. Um, we typically work with large corporate organisations to support them around their talent acquisition um challenges or um their their services so we work with a range of organizations across different sectors um including the likes of uh, barclays morgan stanley uh, goldman sachs deloitte uh, public sector uh, across the uk and from an outsourcing perspective typically we're working with those organizations on long-term contracts um and they are outsourcing um parts of their ta um uh functions or or the entire thing um and and we will work with them to deliver the service against there from an advisory perspective that we're then working with organizations to to help them uh, if they've got a specific challenge that they're facing in ta they may need some kind of tech advisory support they may need some assessment um support or they may need some dei advisory support so so we can support our clients around a range of different services um you said that uh, you first became interested, or, or I think uh, DE&I was highlighted to you when you were working on uh, London 2012, mm-hmm. uh, which which I, in fact, I I, I actually w- was interacting with you at that time. You were, yeah. I, I, I was transitioning to what I do now from a company mm-hmm. that was helping to supply people um, to you. Um, in terms of DE&I, um, how do you move it up the corporate agenda? I mean, you're you're you've you personally have got the internal at AMS. You're talking to clients as well. What are the kind of conversations that you need need to have initially? So I think the the key 
the key requirement for this is to have senior leader commitment and buy-in from the top. Uh, certainly, we had that at London 2012 with our CEO at the time, Paul Dighton, and our chair, uh, Sebastian Co. They totally got it. They totally understood the 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 role that diversity, equity, and inclusion would play in delivering a fantastic games experience, not just for the athletes, but also the spectators and all the other different stakeholders. Um, I also have that support here at AMS um, in that I work really closely with our CEO, David Lee, um, and our chair, Rosaline Blair, um, and they support me and drive, you know, drive the organization uh, around uh, around our strategy. So, so that senior leader, senior level commitment, board commitment, is really important to make sure that we are kind of moving in the right direction. The organization then as a, as a whole really understands why it's important. They can see that sort of senior level commitment um, and, and then you can move forward. Where, where that doesn't exist, um, you know, you might have some brilliant sort of diversity, equity, inclusion teams in a business, but they're not getting that buy-in um, from senior leaders. Then it's really difficult to move forward. It's really difficult to kind of achieve uh, the success that, uh, that you want. Um, how do you deliver value uh, from uh, DEI initiatives? I mean, that that presumably is part of the conversation that that you'll be having with people. So, so what are your, I suppose, um, views on that? I think ultimately it's about you know the, why we do this in AMS is to kind of support our people support our culture as, a, as an organization. We are a people-based business and it's really important for us to be able to attract people um, in, in all of the countries where we operate and kind of, you know, we're, we're looking for different talents. We're looking to tap into underrepresented talent. And so for us, value is, is really about being able to hire the people that we need in our business and to attract the, the diversity of thought in our business um, and thinking about it from all levels um, of diversity, whether it be age, gender, race, sexual orientation, social mobility, etc. That for us is really important and that, that enables our business to, to grow. So that's kind of, that's the value that we as an organisation get from DEI. So that's from an internal perspective that will enable us to continue to grow and it will enable us to continue to kind of work with uh, clients on uh, on their agenda as well. So it's less about, less about kind of proving value through sort of hard numbers you know when I'm asking for investment in programs or um, or heads it's really about right so the impact on the business is going to be that we'll continue to to acquire the talent we'll need it'll be we'll continue to be, be able to stand out through our EVP um, and we'll be able to continue to develop and work with different clients because we are seen to be the leader um, in the way that we're managing our own DEI programs. When you're uh, speaking to clients, is this um, are they already aligned with uh, what what they need to do, or do you find yourself having to possibly with them kind of go through the value that is derived and and kind of why they need to um, kind of uh, bring this approach into the organisation? Listen, I, I I think on the whole, um, when we are engaging with clients, so for the first time. Um, might be through a tender process, a bid process. It typically DEI is in the sort of top three, top five of the challenges that they're facing or the things that they want to address through this this new sort of relationship. Um, now, it's fair to say that organisations are on 
different parts of the journey. Some organizations are really advanced in, in the, the way they're thinking, the way that they are taking DEI forward. And then there are other organizations who are at different levels, you know, a little bit behind smaller organizations or medium-sized organizations, maybe just don't have that sort of investment or, you know, they're not where they need to be. Um, so I think it really depends on the, I think it depends on the sector, it depends on the region, it depends on the size of the organization. And I guess we're able to adapt the conversation that we have, uh, depending um, on that situation. Um, now, one of the things that uh, I'm keen to talk to you about uh, are employee resource groups. Um, now, I was uh, involved with uh, a piece of research earlier in the year that uh, was uh, primarily US, but also uh, included yeah. uh, UK and some other countries. And um, one of the findings was that employee resource groups, uh, whilst being very uh, um, influential, uh, certainly in the US and some places, um, didn't seem so influential in the UK. There was not such a great adoption of them. So um, I know from conversations we've had in the past that employee resource groups are an important um, a way to help embed uh, the DEI agenda. So I wonder if you could, um, I suppose, tell listeners a little bit about what are employee resource groups and 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 what is the value they give. Yeah, so as you know, I'm a big advocate of employee resource groups and something that, you know, we, we're really proud. And I'll talk a little bit more of the, the work that we have been doing within um, AMS. But essentially, employee resource groups are uh, community groups um, of uh, which are typically aligned to a, um, a diversity trait uh, where uh, members of that community come together and allies as well. So it's not just, they're not closed to a particular group, but they're, they're, they also, uh, and it's really important, they interact with allies to to really take that agenda forward. So we, we have eight uh, employee resource groups within AMS. They're global um, employee res resource groups, and they are aligned to the kind of typical areas that you would expect, uh, gender, ethnicity, uh, disability, neurodiversity, social mobility, veteran, um, LGBTQ. Um, and, and, and essentially, these employee resource groups are led uh, by individuals in the business. Um, in AMS, they are volunteers. Uh, so they step up and take uh, responsibility for leading our ERGs on top of the uh, their day-to-day -day responsibilities. Um, and they have the support of an exco member as well, um, and some budget as well to kind of take their plans forward. Um, and, and what we have found within AMS is that they have been a, a massive enabler for helping us to take forward uh, and drive our inclusive culture um, in the uh, in the business. Um, particularly, I would say our Black Employee Network. Um, and our Juntos Podemos um, employee network, which is uh, aligned to um, Hispanic. Um, so those two groups in particular have really helped us to uh, to advance the work that we're doing uh, around um, ethnicity, race, uh, equity um, across our organization. Uh, and they've essentially become critical, critical friends um, of the business. So as well as creating these uh, community groups where people come together to learn, to have some fun, to kind of really challenge the business's thinking, we utilize these groups to, to help us to, you know, when we're doing comms, when we're doing new business initiatives, when we're rolling out new training, 
is to kind of get these groups to kind of work with us uh, around uh, around these different initiatives, just to make sure that we're kind of being thoughtful, we're bringing diversity of thought into uh, the things that we are rolling out. So that kind of that criticality, the, you know, the business business critical friends has become uh, has become really important, um, and certainly they um they've got the ear of the ceo the chair we invite them into our we have quarterly dei board meetings with our ceo and chair and we invite our uh, employee resource groups in so they can feed in directly um to uh to our dei board as well as our corporate board as well and they talk directly to our non-exec directors um around you know the challenges that uh, that we're facing from a you know from a from a sort of diversity perspective so yeah they are incredibly important to us they're a brilliant enabler as i say for continuing to to build and drive on our inclusive culture and i and i would say just before i hand back to you um we we see a brilliant adoption across our UK business. We, we've never had any challenges in our UK business to kind of to, to, to kind of support and get people involved, um, and we see that across all of our regions uh, where we operate as well. Um, for for people listening to this uh, who think um, we we don't do this in our organisation, um, mm. how how do you get started? What who who I suppose owns the initial initiative? Who kind of takes responsibility for 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 them? Yeah, so it kind of started uh, um, organically for us, probably. Whilst we relaunched them formally about 18 months ago, I would say it started organically about six years ago, where our first group was set up, and it was the LGBTQ um, Employee Resource Group. It wasn't really, it wasn't called an Employee Resource Group then, but there was a kind of few individuals in the business who said, look, I think we as a business need to really think about our focus around LGBT inclusion, you know, and and they kind of they came to me because whilst I wasn't sitting within a formal DNI role then, um, I I kind of nominally was the the person that people came to um, if they wanted to talk about sort of DNI initiatives across the business. And I said, look, if you if you're interested in formulating a group, then do it. You know, and I will support, but you know, it's really important that this is led by you know, there's employee kind of buy-in to this. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be led by sort of senior leaders. Um, it shouldn't be imposed on the business. It needs to come from from the business, and that's how it started with our LGBT group about six years ago. Um, and and as I say, it, it developed into us formally launching the employee resource groups um, eighteen months ago. And I think the key ingredients is there needs to be a kind of uh, a demand from from the business colleagues need to kind of get behind it there needs to be uh, executive support uh, so you need to have a sponsor a business sponsor to really help that group with uh, formulating their their goals uh, their objectives etc and, and and hopefully some budget behind it as well and you know so we have put a little bit of budget uh, behind our ergs um, so that they can deliver against uh, against their plans and is this, uh, do, do people tend to meet almost like, I suppose, a special interest group in an organisation? Or is this done more kind of, I suppose, in the flow of work, shall we say? Um, so most of, in fact, all of them will have kind of formal governance structures. I say governance lightly, you know, not not not, not to make it too formal, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, they do have meetings. They have monthly meetings. 
Um, they have, um, you know, they've got plans. They've got their sort of annual goals that they're they're working towards. Um, we have a what we call a milestone calendar of events uh, that we work towards. So each of the employee resource groups will have one or two milestone moments in the year that they are kind of working towards. So for example, you know, we just had a busy, a busy quarter. We had Pride in June, uh, which is obviously a big, um, a big celebration, a big milestone moment for our LGBT group. So a lot of planning went behind that in terms of events that we were running, marches that we were supporting. And then in July, we had Disability Pride. Many people won't know about Disability Pride, but it's, uh, it's a movement really to support, you know, disability inclusion. And again, our disability ERG were very busy, very busy in the sort of months running up to that to kind of get our events um, and activities behind that. So yeah, we 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 try and we're quite formal in the way that we operate, um, so that the the groups are very much aligned and supporting the business, um, and obviously they've got that sort of senior leader support to to help them move forward as well and kind of break down any challenges or barriers that that may exist. And in terms of, the, I suppose, from the business's viewpoint, is there? Do you have specific individuals with an ERG who who you identify as running them, or as from what you've said, it sounds more kind of not committee, but more kind of kind of a group? So, yeah, we do have anybody. Yeah, it, it, yeah, we have we do have specific leads, uh, but they they could be any level within the organization i've got um if i look at our ergs we've got a, a real mix we've got some kind of you know lo- people at lower levels of of the career ladder career ladder career <laughs> ladder yeah. and then more senior people um and uh, i guess the important ingredient is they is that kind of commitment to to that particular erg and it doesn't matter whether you know you're at a lower level or a senior level you know as long as you've got that kind of commitment you've got that interest um then then you can take the lead um and 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 obviously i work with those elgs to support them as well from a from a central uh, perspective to in, in to ensure that they've got that support coming through from my team as well how, how do you incentivize them so i mean you mentioned before about having some budget for uh, yeah, the initiatives that they want to do, but in terms of the individuals who get involved, yeah, how, how do you incentivize them? How how do people get rewarded? Uh, other That's than, a... I suppose, other than you know the 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 the, the satisfaction of what they're yeah. doing for colleagues. Yeah, it's it's a really good question and a very topical question for us because it's something that we are looking at. So within AMS, we we make sure that they're. Um, if they're if they're making time to do this, that they are being recognised um, through their sort of performance management process. So it's not being seen as right. It's just side of side of desk um, activity. That there is value in it. So you know, and, and that's why it's important that their their line managers brought in and support them. We're kind of looking to move into the next iteration of that in terms of how do we how do we formalise that a little bit more so that uh, one of the ideas that I've talked to some of our clients about and heard some of our clients are doing is that you know if they are if they are making time to be a leader that it's it's formally built into their job description. So if they're a kind of a, a, I don't know a a recruiter and they're aligned to a client well 10 percent, at least 10 percent of their job description has to talk about the role um of the leader of that um, erg so that's something that we're we're looking at um the other thing that i know some organizations are doing 
um, is paying additional um, yeah, additional um, salary, if you like, for the uh, the role that they're doing uh, within the ERG. So that's not something that we are committed to at the moment, but it's something that we're definitely looking at as well, just in terms of the conversations I'm having externally, just to understand um, how how widespread that is. Yeah, I guess you 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 need to have some kind of structure because otherwise, if it's a kind of a volunteering thing, then it's it's you don't really get any structure around it. Yeah, and um, you need something not formal, but I suppose something more. Um, you planned. do. Um, so, if, if people are listening to this, thinking, you know, what this this would be a great idea in our organisation, um, you've mentioned obviously a number of the different groups um, from LBG. BTQ, you know, age and, and et cetera. Um, how, how would somebody, how would some say HR uh, mm. get started? Because it's not, you know, you don't go to the board and say, we need employee resource groups. Um, so what's, what, what are the opening conversations and who are they with? I think I think what you'll find is that the, the, there's probably things. So if, if people are feeling like we don't have these groups in operation, well, there's probably things going on across the business already that HR may not be aware of. Um, I think the important thing is is to open up the comms channels um, and really start talking to colleagues in the business about, like, we're thinking about sort of establishing uh, employee resource groups. What do you think? You know, this is what this is. This is why we think you know it'd be a good idea to do them. But, you know, it's really important that, you know, our colleagues buy into that. So I think it's that it's opening up the comms and engagement channels, positioning what employee resource groups are, how they operate, the fact that they need to be employee led. And if there's anybody interested in the business who'd like to kind of take something forward, this, you know, to, to start having those conversations and, and really start it small. It doesn't need to be too formal. I think, you know, start these things organically. Um, and they will kind of they will evolve and, and build and have some structure, obviously, to kind of support them. But don't overcomplicate it to start with. Um, I think it's just really start to build and, and allow allow colleagues to come together and start having conversations, whether it be about race, whether it be about gender, whether it be about neurodiversity or whatever veterans, you know, just let, allow colleagues to start having conversations. And, and it's really interesting how these things um, start to evolve. And in terms of leaders, um... I, I can think, uh, I suppose, earlier in my career of, of one or two uh, organisations where I've worked, where I wouldn't say there's formalised what we're discussing now and what mm. we're describing now, but uh, you know, smaller groups where uh, senior people in the organisation might drop in for a few minutes and say, this is good, and and, and then completely forget about it. Um, so in terms of getting that support and buy-in, um, is it a case of, of of working slowly to, to I suppose, show the value? Or is it uh, is there something else that, that, that um, people can do to, to maybe get more leadership support? Um, yeah, I, I think you've got to, like with, with all these things, Murphy, you're not going to get every leader on board at the same time with the same level of commitment. Um, and I think you've got to kind of choose, choose your leaders who you know are initially who are more committed they may have a particular lived experience or more aligned to to a group for for whatever reason and i think you know choosing to get those leaders involved to start with getting their commitment and i think other leaders will look in and think all oh, right well you know i want to kind of you know uh, if they're kind of getting involved and, and driving this and maybe i need to step up and, and do my thing and i think that that kind of he- healthy competition definitely definitely helps um 
it helped for us in the Olympics where I think we did some really interesting things very early on. If you think about sort of 2012, well, I was there 2007 to 2012, we really drove that that, that competition across our directors in terms of their diversity hiring. So it almost became a, you know, a bit of a competition. We were a sport-based organization, so we wanted yeah. to introduce some competition. So, you know, they they all took responsibility then for hiring underrepresented talent and kind of making sure that they were not at the bottom of the leader table. And I think it's the same thing really about getting getting leaders involved in in sort of the ERG activity. You know, you won't get everybody involved straight away, but I think generally it will create some um, some level of interest across all of them. Okay, I suppose uh, as a final question, um, uh, Paul, how do you how do you see in terms of of I suppose the future in terms of how um, the ERGs within your organisation have developed? How do you see this um, I suppose developing in the future? Um, I, yeah, I think there, there's a couple of things. I think it's I think we've done a really good job at kind of get, getting our ERG set up um, and driving their agendas. What we want to move them into as a next step is that kind of intersectional thinking. So kind of getting getting groups together, thinking about specific issues that may impact, for example, um, you know, uh, female, black, disabled kind of communities, how you kind of bring that together and think about what, what does that mean? What are the issues that uh, that specific community are facing? I think that's where it gets really interesting. And, and we're starting to see that with our groups coming together. For example, during Pride, we had our LGBT community talking about mental health challenges facing that community. Um, or yeah, so so that move to, to more of an intersectional approach, I think is important. And then I think the other, the other important point is, you know, we do a good job, I think, uh, kind of regionalizing our ERGs as well because you can't just have a global approach to this because every region is different so how we look at uh, LGBTQ is a good example how we look at that from a UK perspective compared to say Poland compared to China compared to the US you know it's really different and the challenges are very different and so kind of setting up our ERGs with the right regional support um, behind those issues is is really important and you know i think we do a good job there we've got more thinking to do there take that forward okay and um if people listening to this want to get in touch with you uh maybe find out a bit more um how can people connect with you uh yes yeah, so always really happy and I, I certainly get a lot out of talking to to peers in in my uh, network so people can contact me through uh, LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Twitter, Threads, um, the, 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 all the social channels. But um, very happy for people to to contact me directly here at uh, AMS as well. Okay, Paul. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I wish you I wish you lots of luck in the future. Great. Thank you so much, Mervin.